Hi, this is Mandy Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. How many of the parables that Jesus gave can you name? Many people can remember some of Christ's most famous stories, like the parable of the lost sheep, the prodigal son, or the good Samaritan. Others of you might remember the parables Pastor Jones discussed over the last two weeks, the parable of the sower, or the wheat and the tares. Yet in this message of Christ, Jesus also gave six smaller and less famous parables that have much to teach us still today. I pray that you are blessed as you listen to this discussion of six of the smaller parables concerning Christ's kingdom. Well, we come again today to the message on the parables of Jesus, and in this particular message we're going to deal with six different parables that are smaller than both the parable of the wheat and the tares and the parable of the sower. And so uh, we will deal with six different parables by God's grace in our time together today. And so before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon His Word. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. I ask for your help as we look into your word. Give us understanding of these uh, parables and how they apply. May this be a, a blessing to those who will listen. We thank you for this uh, privilege and ask for your uh, grace and help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first of the six parables is the parable of the mustard seed. It's found in Matthew chapter 13 and verses 31 and 32. It says this, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, the uh, parable of the mustard seed um, can be taken a couple different ways. In some of these parables, you can look at them that way, and they're not specifically interpreted by Christ. And so we're going to pursue, and I'll explain it later, uh, a pretty basic interpretation for each of them. Um, and I believe that would be the way that we ought to um, uh, interpret them. And I'll, again, I'll explain that a little bit later. But there are just uh, some major points that Jesus is making in this uh, uh, parable. First of all, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And that is uh, there's a couple ways that um, that's uh, seen in Scripture. The first is it's talking about the time when the king reigns on earth, and that we're still looking for. It's called the millennium uh, in Scripture. It's a period of uh, time when Jesus will reign on earth as king. And um, But also, there is a certain respect in which the kingdom of heaven is present today in the lives of God's people. And so um, uh, this parable, I believe, is, is showing what's happening before the kingdom actually uh, comes in. And he mentions how the mustard seed is sown. And the mustard seed is obviously small. It's a tiny little seed. And Jesus said that that mustard seed will grow large. And it grows large to the place where the plant becomes a home for the birds of the air. And um, when I was preaching this in my church, I had a, uh, a picture of a mustard plant over in the Middle East, and it was huge. It was uh, like like a whole huge shrub. 
And you could see quite easily why Jesus used this as an illustration and said that the birds uh, could uh, dwell there because they actually easily could. And um, so there is a question when people look at this and, and try to interpret this parable, and that is, are these birds uh, good or bad? Uh, birds in, in the parable of the sower were used to illustrate evil. And uh, Satan actually sna- snatching away the seed from the hearts of people who were hardened um, that when the seed fell on the hard ground. And so some people, and there are different uh, uh, people that would say that, that this is, these birds are evil people. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom grows larger, that evil people will come and um, take positions um, in that kingdom. And there certainly is some um, historical reality to that in the fact that we've seen as the church grows larger uh, that there are times when corruption does come in and people get into positions of power who are not even true believers at all. Um, And so that certainly is a possibility that Jesus is talking about the fact that as the kingdom grows that evil people will um, will come and take control. But I think the what Jesus is really saying is that just like that small mustard seed, the kingdom of God starts insignificantly. Matter of fact, after his crucifixion, uh, you had the 11 loyal disciples and uh, a very few people who spent um, time praying with them before the coming of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, it was a, it was a group of about 120 that the scripture uh, mentions in, in the book of Acts, that were praying uh, before the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and um, indwelling uh, believers. And if, after that, the, the gospel begins to take off. And so certainly, um, this idea that the kingdom will start insignificantly, I think, is without doubt. But Jesus goes on and he says uh, that, that this, this mustard seed is going to grow. And it obviously is growing quickly. Very interesting to me, when you come to Romans chapter 15, which was written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul had several more years to live. Uh, He probably um, got out of prison, and um, uh, he actually ends up going to Spain, as far as we know, all this happening after he wrote the book of Romans. Um, He hadn't been to Rome, matter of fact, yet, um, and had a chance to preach the gospel there. But in Romans chapter 15 and verses 19 to 23, so Paul is probably writing this somewhere in the late 50s to the, to the early 60s um, in, in the, in the um, year of our Lord, uh, so after Christ's uh, coming, and, and Christ was probably crucified around 30. So we're looking about 30 years after um, the, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. And Paul would, would um, uh, write this, In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, he says that he's actually um, going to try to visit Rome on his way to Spain. Now, what's interesting 
is that the city of Jerusalem, we would know where that's at. That's in Israel. But where is this place called Illyricum? Well, Illyricum is actually a, a, a place in Croatia, modern Croatia. And what Paul is saying is that between uh, the nation, between the, the city of Jerusalem, and you'd have to go north, uh, way up above the, 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 the northern shores of the Mediterranean Sea, across um, uh, Turkey and up, up into what's called now Croatia. He's saying all the way up through there, that whole swath of, of territory has already been covered by, by this time in Paul's ministry. It's only about 30 years after Christ's crucifixion. He's saying this part of the world has been so, uh, uh, has had enough churches up through there that people have heard about Jesus all the way through there. I'm going somewhere they haven't heard yet. That's quite an amazing uh, spread of the gospel. We're talking without internet, without television, without radio. The gospel, through the advancement of the church, was spreading quickly, just like this parable um, uh, uh, predicted. Uh, the, also, what's interesting about the the, the um, mustard plant is, and I think Jesus is illustrating this, is that the kingdom is going to advance publicly. The idea is that it's visible, rapid growth. You see the mustard plant. You, you see it growing. You see the, 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 the branches of it and the bushiness of it and, and, and honestly, the, the, the length and the width of it. It's amazing to see, I'm sure, this plant grow. And grow quickly. So it's it's a public advance of the gospel. People knew about this. People could tell. Um, it's it's going across the Roman Empire, and God's kingdom is going to minister massively. I I, I think that the birds in uh, in uh, I'm not going to interpret them as necessarily evil, as much as uh, birds can also represent like masses of people. And so I won't give you the scriptures behind that. But the idea seems to be then that, that there will be many people that are ministered to by the advancement of Christ's church. And you think even in our own country, um, how many um, hospitals, how many colleges were founded by Christian people uh, to spread the gospel and to bless other people? Uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, some of our uh, the Ivy League schools, almost uh, every single one of them was founded by Christian people uh, in order to help preach the gospel, and so uh, the and and you think of the the hospitals all across the, the our country that were founded by believing people, uh, let alone uh, across the world as missionaries have gone and had medical ministries all over the world, and even today you you hear of um, of uh, uh, Samaritan's Purse, one of the Christian organizations. Uh, that goes around and and shares the gospel while at the same time ministering to people who are very much in need, and so the the kingdom as that mustard plant start started small, and yet it was spreading rapidly, and and having a an impact publicly upon the world. Now there's a second parable. It's, it's very similar. It's found in verse 33, where it says another parable. He spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And those of, uh, of, of you who have done any baking know what I'm talking about when you put leaven or yeast into um, a loaf, especially if you've ever made bread. You, will, uh, you'll, you put that yeast in there 
and just kind of keep it in a warm spot, the, the, the dough, and before too long, that yeast is permeated throughout the, uh, throughout the dough, and, and of, of course, that's what makes uh, one, of the, one of the ways that uh, we really enjoy bread is the way that the yeast goes through the dough. Now, again, uh, leaven in the scriptures is also, it often pictures uh, a negative uh, thing like sin. Um, many times in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul used the picture of leaven being, uh, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he was using that as a picture of sin. And so there would be many that would again say that as the kingdom grows larger, uh, there is much corruption that comes in until corruption permeates the church. And there are certainly examples of um, uh, large movements of God that have become utterly corrupt and have completely veered off of their original foundations. Many of the colleges that I mentioned um, earlier have completely forsaken uh, their Christian heritage and are actually teaching um, uh, diametrically opposed uh, uh, doctrines against the Christian faith. So there is definitely the reality that um, that as sometimes as the work of God grows, it can be corrupted. But I'm not really sure that that's what Jesus is saying. Um, I would uh, argue that the leaven is again picturing God's kingdom's advance. Uh, but this time, instead of the the open, visible advance that you see with the mustard plant growing, uh, this is more of a of a secret advance, uh, something that is not so easily detected uh, by those that don't know the Lord. Uh, God's kingdom again starts out small and insignificant, and when you're in it, when you're part of God's kingdom, when you're part, when you have accepted Christ as Lord and, and Savior, and you belong to Him and you're trying to be a blessing to other people um, and to be a light for Jesus in this world, many times it seems like you're not getting very far. And so from our vantage point, many times it doesn't look like a lot is happening. Unlike the mustard plant that is obviously growing, many times in the work of God, it's much more hidden from our views. It's hard to see it. I remember praying with, with a man, a missionary one time, who prayed that very thing. Uh, he said, um, as he was praying, he said, Lord, um, he said, I, I can see as I'm away for a year or two and I come back. He said, I can see what you're doing in these brothers' churches. He said, many times they can't see it because they're in the middle of it. And boy, that was so true. And I've thought about that many, many times since. And so uh, Christ may be referring here to the advance of God's kingdom. But when you're in it, it, do, it just doesn't look as, as visible and as outward as the growth of the mustard plant. Uh, but it does still bring long-term results that, that, that affect the entire world. And much has been accomplished because of Jesus coming to earth um, uh, across the world. Um, again, many times we don't see that. But um, when you're in it, you, you, you can see all the evil. Many times you see all the opposition. And we see uh, people uh, even on the streets of of where was it Portland I believe burning a Bible, and that is obviously it's concerning. It's it's um, it's it's concerning to those of us that know the Lord and, and don't want to see people in our country showing such irreverence toward toward the Lord. But it really shows us more of the need of people 
rather than any kind of a desire for revenge. That's not what God would have us to do. He would have us to love those people and to try to help them to see that his word is truth and is not something to be burned. Well, uh, after uh, verse 34 and 35, there is a, um, a, a little um, statement about Christ's parable ministry. It says, All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, which again is quite a statement because he had not been using the parables before this point. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And that, by the way, is a quote from Psalm 78. So uh, uh, Jesus is using the parables now. And, um, and so uh, we have now, when we skip down to verse 44, a, a, a third parable. But let me, let me just uh, tell you a brief story before I get into that third parable on the idea that, that God's kingdom is going forward and it doesn't always look that way uh, when we're in it. Uh, when we're uh, God's children, uh, just seeing the horrors of 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 sinful life on this on this planet, um, uh, there's a, a story told by uh, Colin Chapman in the case for Christianity. Um, and he's quoting from a Ugandan bishop whose name is uh, Festo uh, Canaveris, and uh, this man uh, Festo gives an account of. Uh, in 1973, there was an execution by firing squad of three men uh, who were from his area. And so um, uh, Festo writes that on February 10th began a sad day for us uh, in, in talking about in his province. People were commanded to come to the stadium and witness the execution. Can you imagine that? They're going to execute three men and they demand that the people come and watch it. Death permeated the atmosphere. A silent crowd of about 3,000 was there to watch. I had permission from the authorities to speak to the men before they died, and two of my fellow ministers were with me. They brought the men in a truck and unloaded them. They were handcuffed, and their feet were chained. The firing squad stood at attention. As we walked into the center of the stadium, I was wondering what to say. How do you give the gospel to doomed men who are probably seething with rage? We approached them from behind as they turned to look at us. What a sight! Their faces were all alight with an unmistakable glow and radiance. Before we could say anything, one of them burst out, Bishop, thank you for coming. I wanted to tell you, the day I was arrested in my prison cell, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. He came in and forgave me all my sins. Heaven is now open, and there is nothing between me and my God. Please tell my wife and children that I am going to be with Jesus. Ask them to accept him in their lives as I did. The two other men stood. Uh, excuse me. The two other men told similar stories, excitedly raising their hands, which rattled in their handcuffs. I, I felt uh, that, that what I needed to do was to talk to the soldiers, not to be not to the condemned. So I translated what the men had said into the language the soldiers understood. So evidently these were uh, the soldiers and, and the exec men to be executed were actually uh, spoke two different languages. The military men were standing there with guns cocked and bewilderment on their faces. They were so dumbfounded they forgot to put the hoods over the men's faces. The three men faced the firing squad standing close together. 
They looked toward the people and began to wave, handcuffs and all. The people waved back. Then shots were fired, and the three were with Jesus. We stood in front of them, our own hearts throbbing with joy, mingled with tears. It was a day never to be forgotten. Though dead, the men spoke loudly to all in that district and beyond, so that there was an upsurge of life in Christ, which challenges death and defeats it. Oh, how true that is. You know, uh, again, did that look like a great advancement of the gospel? No, it looked like a horrific situation. It looked like a disaster. Here you have three men that are being executed, yet Jesus Christ came in. Now, you can't see what Jesus did in their hearts. All you could tell was the glow on their faces and their, and their confident testimony and their lack of fear in death. But you can't see a building in their honor. You can't see a hospital that's created because of their lives. Yet the gospel was going forward. And we need to realize that we do have victory in Jesus Christ. The story is told of a, uh, a man by the name of Alistair, J. Alistair Brown. He said I, he was walking through a park and he passed a massive oak tree. A vine had grown up along its trunk. The vine started small, nothing to bother about. But over the years, the vine had gotten taller and taller. By the time I passed, the entire lower half of the tree was covered by the vine's creepers. The mass of tiny feelers was so thick that the tree looked as though it had innumerable birds' nests in it. Now the tree was in danger. This huge solid oak was quite literally being taken over. The life was being squeezed from it. But the gardeners in that park had seen the danger. They had seen and saw a severed, uh, excuse me, they had, they had taken a saw and severed the trunk of the vine. One neat cut across the middle, the tangled mass of the vine's branches still clung to the oak, but the vine was now dead. That would gradually become plain as weeks passed and the creepers began to die and fall away from the tree. How easy it is for sin, which begins so small and seemingly insignificant, to grow until it is strangled, a strangling grip on our lives. And yet Christ's death has cut the power of sin. Yes, the creepers of sin still cling and have some effect, but sin's power is severed by Christ, and gradually sin's grip dies and falls away. Boy, how true that is. And so, just like with the parable of the leaven, it's not always apparent what God is doing. Sometimes it's very hard to see when you're a believer and you're in the middle of a situation, but the kingdom is still going forward. The kingdom is still conquering lives and hearts of people, saving souls, making an eternal difference, and going on. Now we come to uh, the, the third parable. It's found in, in Matthew 13 again and verses 44 it says, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So, um, in this particular parable, uh, we see uh, value placed upon the kingdom. And uh, this would be uh, the overall theme, God, the value of God's kingdom, really of this and the next parable uh, that Jesus tells. And, and, um, and so the parable of the hidden treasure. This guy comes along, he, he notices maybe, I don't know, something sticking out of the ground or something. He, 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 he unburies it and he says, oh, this is an extremely valuable treasure. And what does he do? Well, he, he hides it because he values it so much. He then 
um, goes, goes and buys that field. So what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is like that treasure hidden in the field. And um, so when a person discovers the blessing of being part of God's kingdom, uh, uh, he, want, he values it. And he realizes that he does that 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 this is worth everything he's got. If he can just find entrance to the kingdom, if he can just get the kingdom, then everything else is going to be fine in his life. And so he sold he, he took all of his possessions to buy that field, and therefore uh, it, it's the picture of the person who forsakes all in order to find uh, salvation. And of course he rejoices in the treasure that he has. And when a person comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, it, whatever sacrifice we have to go through is well worth it to have him. Uh, and, and the man then joyfully sells all that he has and buys that field. And so it's a picture, this hidden treasure pictures the value we should place upon God's kingdom. You know, in the United States, it doesn't cost us all that much many times to become a Christian. But it's amazing how in our own hearts and even um, uh, how Satan will elevate the little cost we would have to pay. For instance, someone says, well, I can't, you know, I can't. Uh, maybe maybe an invita- invitation is given at a, at a church service and the, and the, and the preacher is, is saying, look, if you want to accept Christ, uh, feel free to come down and meet me at the front. We'll have someone help you. Well, maybe that person is saying, "Well, I, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want anybody to think I'm weird. Um, I can't." And so, for a, a little a thing as worrying about what other people think, many of whom they don't even know who you are, people will turn away from the value of the kingdom. Other people may have may say, "Well, if I accept Jesus and I'm born again." Uh, my in-laws won't like it, or my parents won't like it, or my brothers and sisters won't like it. They'll think I'm one of those crazy people. Again, if you value God's kingdom so little that you would be willing to forsake it for the approval of people, you really don't get it. You You haven't understood the value of God's kingdom. Because once you understand the difference between heaven and hell, between eternal life with the Lord and having God's presence in your life now and forgiveness for your sins and the peace of God in your soul. When, when you really get that, then then anything else is, is, is really like garbage compared to accepting Jesus as Savior. Well, what's in that treasure? Well, you can become a child of God. Um, we're, we're made children of God. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons or the children of God, uh, John one twelve says. We can have peace with God. So all of the sins that we've committed, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So all the sins we have committed can be completely forgiven. And those men though they were guilty, evidently, of some capital crime. I don't know what they had done, those, those three men in Uganda. But, but they could be forgiven, and, and they could be on their way to heaven simply by putting their faith in Jesus and, his, and the, the price that he paid for them on the cross. Think of the thief on the cross. The same situation. He's, in, he's, he's um, going to be executed for his crimes that he has committed. We don't really know what they were. 
But we do know that 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 it was serious enough that he was going to be put to death by the Romans in a very cruel way, crucifixion. And yet, he could turn to Jesus and say, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Would you forgive me? And Jesus forgave him on the spot. Say, today you'll be with me in paradise. When you understand the treasure of becoming a child of God, of, 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 of gaining peace with God, of being free from your sins. In Romans chapter 6, we're told that we... Uh, when we accept Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, alive to righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a blessing to be freed from your sins and to be given the gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death, that's eternal death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Christians don't need to fear death. Christians can have joy and peace right now in knowing that God has forgiven them. And, and so seeking God's kingdom is worth far more than anything and everything you own. And seeing God's kingdom value then motivates you to cheerfully give up all to obtain it. And so the man that saw the treasure in the field, he willingly, gladly put all of his possessions together, bought that field, and was glad to do it, realizing the value of the treasure. Now, very something similar is in the next parable. It's called the Pearl of Great Price. It's verse 45 and 46 of Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, in this case, you have a merchant, and he's looking for treasure. And while searching, he comes across this 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 beautiful and and uh, a pearl of, of great value. And in order to buy this pearl, again, he has to sell all that he has. And, and he's able to buy it. Now, what does the pearl represent? Well, again, it could represent God's kingdom in a very similar way. Or it could even represent God's Son, Jesus Christ, often been called the pearl of great price. You know, there are many... Um, maybe some who are listening to me now, and, and, and you've been looking, like this merchant, you've been looking for the answer to life. You, you realize it's, it, that life is really not about just um, you know, uh, graduating from school and, and uh, getting married and having kids and, and, um, and then getting old and dying. Life's got to be more, there's got to be more to it than that. And you're right, there is. And I remember my wife, as a young teenager, was was in that very spot. She was she was looking for some answers. She she certainly had religion in her background, uh, but she really didn't know what life was all about. And it was when she saw that Jesus, she knew the facts that Jesus had died for the sins of the world, but she really didn't. It didn't sink in that Jesus really died for her. It was a personal thing. He, he didn't just die for everybody. He died for her. And one preacher put it to her this way, and it really sunk into her heart. You know, if, if you'd have been the only person on the world, uh, Jesus would have died for you. And what a, what a, what a wonderful thought. And so um, as a teenage girl, about 14 years old, my wife came to the spot where she accepted the Lord and gave her heart to Christ. And um, the verse that really meant so much to her was in Isaiah 53. It was a passage written um, 700 years before Jesus 
came to earth. She got off by herself as at a Christian camp. And she read in Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. She realized that Jesus was worth everything. And so she gave her heart to Christ. Um, The Apostle Paul came to that same conclusion. In Philippians chapter 3, he really kind of lays out um, how radically... Um, he he um, changed because he was he was a rising star in in his religion in 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 Judaism. He he was so sincere about his faith that he believed that Christians were a uh, heretic group and was actively persecuting them, even um, working to put Christians to death in a legal way. So he wasn't just going out and 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 slaughtering them. He was hauling them into the authorities, putting them on trial, and having them executed, thinking he was doing the right thing. But here's what he said when he understood the pearl of great price, when he understood uh, Jesus really uh, appeared to him and showed him that he was wrong. He said, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Very strict, um, very um, uh, moral as, as far as humanly speaking, um, uh, you know, trying to keep the, the Old Testament law. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So he said, you couldn't find a fault, humanly speaking, with how I was observing what I was supposed to do under the Old Testament law. But he, here's what he says, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. All the, 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 the he, again, he was known by the high priest, the highest religious leader in the nation. He, was, uh, he actually asked the high priest for permission to go and find and bring back uh, to Jerusalem Christians from a foreign country, Syria, uh, specifically Damascus, Syria, he was going to. He was going to haul Christians back to Jerusalem for trial. This man was, again, known for his knowledge, known for his zeal. He says, what things were gained to me, I counted loss. For what? For Jesus Christ. Yet, indeed, I count all things. He says, I still feel this way. It's not that I felt it just when I got saved. I, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. His friends, his, his um, rising star, it, it was all done when he accepted Jesus, was, was baptized uh, and, and identified now as, as a Christian. That was all done. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Uh, uh, he says, uh, I, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. He said, The things I lost are like garbage compared to what I got. I got the pearl of great price. I, I, I have a relationship with Jesus. Personally. And it's so much more value than anything that I had. He found the pearl of great price. Now, when when God's kingdom and God's son are infinitely valuable, according to these two parables, and some of the um, outsiders, they may find truths about God's kingdom, but those that really get it understand the value. 
Um, everyone does not see that same value, but and everyone is not willing to pay the price to secure God's kingdom. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul, um, after God had saved him, and, and now he's, he's, he's going across the world telling people about Jesus, so excited about what he knew. And he was hauled in um, to uh, uh, authorities. He was, he was put in prison in Jerusalem. He's transferred um, uh, to, another, to another city. And there he was put in. Uh, he was asked to come in in front of a guy uh, by the name of King Agrippa. Uh, we know him in history as um, uh, Herod Agrippa. There was more than one of them. But uh, he was a, uh, a man who, with a, a Jewish wife. Her name was... Um, um, no, I, I, excuse me, I misspeak. He did not have a, a Jewish wife, but he had great Jewish sympathies. He, he was a man that seemed to have a knowledge of Judaism and some uh, respect for it. Again, in history, he's known as Herod Agrippa II. And um, Herod Agrippa had uh, one major issue in his private life that was well known across the Roman Empire of uh, positions of power, and that is that it was widely rumored he had an incestuous relationship with his sister, uh, a beautiful woman by the name of Bernice. And as the Apostle Paul is talking to Herod, his sister Bernice is sitting next to him, as well as another governor um, who was actually the man who was um, uh, responsible for Paul being in jail, and that is his name was Festus. And as Herod and, and Festus and Bernice are listening to the Apostle Paul explain the doctrines of sin, the doctrine of salvation, and that they need Christ as Savior, um, uh, it says, Now as, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely, talking about King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, I know you have a respect for the prophets. As a matter of fact, I believe you believe them. I know that you do. Here's Agrippa's answer. Then Agrippa said to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. You see, he... He understood a lot of the facts. But he didn't, he really didn't understand the value of the kingdom, that it was worth. It was worth his incestuous relationship with his sister. It was worth his fame. It was worth his position. It was worth all of it. It was because we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about a personal relationship with the Son of God, with God Himself through His Son. And Herod Agrippa didn't see that. And so he didn't value God's kingdom above what he had. As far as we know, Herod Agrippa turned away and was lost and is in hell today. That brings us to the last two of Jesus' parables in this chapter of Matthew chapter 13. And, uh, and these last two are found, first of all, in verses 47 to 50, which is the parable uh, that's often called the parable of the dragnet. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet which was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, 
separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, uh, this parable of Jesus, uh, I believe this parable pictures the horror of the separation that takes place right before the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. And you'll notice the net um, that goes out. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. So the idea is, is that God is going to gather in at the, uh, uh, when the kingdom is established uh, every kind of person. Now, uh, it's kind of interesting, like the fish of every kind are gathered in, the fish are representing people. So who would be included in this dragnet? Well, the rich and the poor, the famous and the obscure, the beautiful and the unattractive, the good and the bad of every, na- of every nation and race and color and creed. They'll all be gathered for the judgment of that, of that day. And you'll notice the next thing that happens is not only the gathering of these people, but then there is the separation of the good from the bad. And the good fish are, are pictures fulfilling their purpose, and the bad fish are then thrown away, and they're cast into a furnace of fire where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you'll notice again, the timing is at the end of the age. So it will be at the end of the age. And, and that is the, the, um, when, when, again, the kingdom will be established. And so you'll notice the, um, the instruments of separation are very similar to when Jesus was using the parable of the wheat and the tares. The angels um, are, are, are the ones who will separate the believers from the unbelievers. And Satan's children are referred to as the wicked. And that refers to someone who does evil, or as evil in his heart, it's used of Satan himself. And God's children are referred to as the just. And can you picture this awful scene? In many cases, brothers and sisters, parents and children, husbands and wives will be separated forever on that day over what they did with Christ and his coming kingdom. Some ignored Jesus and lived life for themselves. Some railed against Christ and rebelled against God and those who tried to help them. Some pretended to believe in Christ but were merely clever fakes who proved to be evil. Some uh, truly believed in Christ and his kingdom and they will, in fact, be part of it. But that dragnet, if it was sent out today, if today was the last day before Christ's kingdom, what would happen to you? And again, you'll notice that the lost are gathered and thrown into the furnace of fire where will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And, um, and so, uh, again, I can't even describe the horrors of those who will be sent uh, to their eternal uh, abode in hell. Then there's this brief exchange in verse 51. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Now, that's interesting that the disciples would say, yeah, we understood what you've said so far. Because you can see, we've already talked about, that there's a couple different ways you can interpret these parables. Which is why I think we have to make sure we keep the interpretation simple. Because the disciples really felt that they had gotten what Jesus said. And that's why we've tried to follow uh, that pattern of not trying to make them say too much. um, But just keeping it simple what Jesus said. And then we have the last parable, the parable of the householder. It's verse 52. This is uh, what uh, closes out this message. 
Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And so this parable of the householders is the sixth and final parable uh, that we wanted to look at today. And the householder is obviously a studious man. He's a scribe. And a scribe in Jesus' day was a person who made it his lifetime occupation to study God's law. Thus, he was not merely a good student. He was a Bible student. Okay, He's a scribe. He's studying the Word of God. He's also a believing man because it says he's instructed out of the law. He carries, carries the idea of being a disciple. Thus, he has not merely been taught the truth. He's embraced it. And um, so he's a believing man. And then he's a, a wealthy man. And why do we say that? Well, because um, you'll notice two major possessions he's got. He's got a house. Uh, I believe this pictures the fact that he is a part of the household of God. And he's got treasure. And what is his treasure? Old truths and new truths. And I would submit that the, that the old truths are found in the Old Testament. And new truths were truths that hadn't been revealed yet. But we're going to be coming, and we would find many of them in the New Testament. So the dragnet, it, it gives us a serious warning of God's coming judgment. And um, this is not the only picture of that event. And remember that Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven, and he talked more about hell than all the other people in the Scriptures. All, every single one of them. There's not a person that talked more about it than Jesus did. And so we need to take his words very seriously because obviously he's warning us about this place because he doesn't want us to go there. Um, now, uh, uh, I just want you to, to, to notice then in, in, in closing, I'm going to take you to another passage where Jesus talks about this same type of, of, uh, of, of event. And this one is not a parable. This is an actual uh, description of what we commonly call the judgment of the nations. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25 and verses 31 to 46, where uh, the scripture says this, When the Son of Man, and that would be Jesus, comes in his glory. So that's the coming of his kingdom. And when he's coming as king. So we're talking about really the same basic time period that Jesus has been describing. And all the holy angels with him, and you remember that the angels were the ones that were separating the good from the bad, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Again, very similar to that last, to the second last parable about the dragnet with the fish being separated. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Let me just stop there for a second and um, put that in context. At the end, right before the coming kingdom of Christ, what the next event that uh, the, the, the event that precedes that coming is what uh, many scholars would call the tribulation period. And by that, we're talking about a time of unprecedented suffering on this earth. And during that time, 
there will be a tremendous persecution that Jesus describes in Matthew 24, as well as now here in 25, a tremendous persecution against uh, Christian people to the place where they are being executed in mass. So when Jesus is talking about people uh, giving to the hungry and to the thirsty and to the stranger and to the sick and to the person in prison, going and visiting that person in prison, you, you just can't think of it. It's, it. it's really not accurate to think of it as, well, you saw a needy child on television and you gave 20 bucks. He's not talking about that. He's talking about coming alongside of people who are being hunted and being um, put to death in mass, and you're endangering your own life to do it. That's what he's talking about. Because I want you to notice verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick and in, or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Now, this, this persecution is not only against Christian people, it's also going to be leveled against Jewish people. And there's much anti-Semitism on the rise tragically in this, in this country and in the world today. And when Jesus describes that, uh, when the tribulation period is described in the scriptures, um, uh, the, uh, the Antichrist is going after Christian people and he's going after Jewish people. And to help them will risk your own life and safety. It's not merely a just giving, again, a 20 bucks. It's about risking your life to go and visit this guy in prison. It's about risking your life to bring a stranger into your home that you know can't feed himself because he is actually being hunted like an animal. That is what Jesus is talking about. Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now think about it. Here you are, you're in a situation where if you take this this uh, this this Christian who obviously cannot uh, buy or sell food, he's he's being hunted like an animal. If you take him in, you could be put to death for helping him. You could be put in prison for going and visiting that guy in the prison. Maybe you'd be put in a mental hospital because you went in and visited this 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 believer this or this Jewish person that was thrown in a hospital in, in a mental hospital. So you are risking your own personal life and safety. Can you understand why a lot of people would say, well, well, I feel bad for these people, but I, I just can't risk my life for that. I can't risk my family for that. You know why they won't risk it? Because they don't value the kingdom and they don't value the king. It's the same idea. The, the, the pearl of great price, they don't see the value of Jesus and they don't see the value of Jesus' people. 
And so they're not willing to risk life and, and even financial disaster to come alongside God's children who are suffering. And what they're showing, they're evidencing a lack of faith. They're evidencing an unbelief that they really don't see the value of the kingdom. And what happens to them? Let Jesus tell you. He says, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Oh, I pray you'll see the value of Christ and you'll va- see the value of his kingdom. It's not worth, it, it, it's, it's so much, uh, excuse me, so much more worth and value than anything we possess. Don't let the opinions of other people, don't let the fact that you work a job that you're going to have to leave because it's, it's, it's an ungodly job. Don't let that stop you. Don't let the fact of, of, of what, are my, what are my friends, my relatives going to say, don't let that stop you. If you understand the value of Christ and the value of salvation, you will forsake anything you have to in order to come to Him. Father, help that folks might realize the, the, the uh, complete uh, and perfect gift that you have given us in salvation and in the person of Jesus Christ. And may they forsake all that they need to in order to find you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you seen the true value of knowing God? having your sins forgiven, and being certain that heaven is your home? That is what God offers to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the reason that Jesus went to a Roman cross and suffered so horrifically. He did it for you. He died to set you free from your sins and the punishment you deserve for them and to make you a child of God. Our prayer for you is that you will see the value, not merely of what God can do for you, but of having a relationship with God Himself. Would the Lord accept you? Listen to Jesus' invitation found in John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who could help you, you can email us at help at calkinsbaptistchurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at calkinsbaptistchurch.com. For those who would like to attend one of our services in person, you should be aware that due to the coronavirus pandemic, our service times have changed. Currently, we have one morning service in our family center where we can more easily practice social distancing. That service takes place at 9 o'clock a.m. on Sunday. At this time, we do not have Sunday school classes or a nursery, but this could change in the next few weeks, so feel free to check our website for any changes. Our Sunday and Wednesday evening services both start at 6.30 p.m. and are held in our normal church sanctuary. If any of you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for a radio bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.